What happens when water is exposed to EMF or wireless radiation? Here's something you may not know. Water is conscious and it responds vibrationally to whatever it is exposed to. At Omnia we've done an experiment where we froze and photographed three samples of water. Water which was not exposed to EMF radiation, the baseline, looked like this. Water which was exposed to an EMF field, a 5G radiation field in fact, looked like this. And water which was exposed to EMF that is balanced by the Omnia radiation balancer looked like this. See the difference? Remember, your body is 70% water. And here's a special offer for the Journey to Truth crowd. Just enter the word TRUTH in caps at the checkout for your 10% discount. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Just a reminder, our webinar is coming up this Sunday. I think we haven't decided on a time yet, Aaron, maybe like five uh, central-ish, four or five central. Sounds good. We'll, yeah, we'll, about that. We'll figure out a time and we'll, we'll let you know when we share out the link. But uh, yeah, so on our Patreon, if you're not a member, it's only $5 to sign up. We do monthly or bi-monthly webinars. Um, would bi-monthly be twice in one month or would that be every other month? I think it can be either one, actually. Hmm, that's interesting. I've heard it can be both, <laughs> depending on what you want it to mean. So either way, so um, it's really specify. hard. To, it's really hard to do once a month without just throwing something out to be throwing it out. So um, we're, we we want to make sure it's something actually worth tuning into. So um, energetically, you say every other month, every, every other month. every other month. There to you be go. clear, yeah. So, but it's going to be this Sunday, September twenty fourth. Uh, the Patreon link is below in the description. If you feel you want to join us and sign up, you can do that below. We'd love to see you there. Uh, the last one we did make publicly available on cloning the clone webinar, and you can go back and watch that on our channel if you wish. And as you know, our documentary Cahokia Mounds: The Untold Story is now out, and you can watch that documentary below in the description at cahokiauntold.com, or you can just Google it. You should find it; it should pop right up. And uh, we've been getting some great feedback on that. So please, uh, if you like it, share it with your friends and family. We'd love uh, we'd love for everyone to see it. It's our first attempt at a full length documentary, and I think it turned out well. So, um, that being said. Today, we are joined by Maureen Richmond. She is an astrologer, among many other things. And I personally don't know. I've never been completely into astrology. And I realize this because I don't fully understand it. And a lot of this, you know, you hear about all of the Mercury retrogrades and all the planetary conjunctions and all this stuff and and how it aligns and affects our global events and all that stuff. And I, I guess I just never fully understood it. So Today, in particular, I'd like to cover how astrology affects world events and maybe go back through time and see like different periods where um, we have specific events that significant events that actually happen on specific astrological alignments. So um, welcome to the show, Maureen. Before I keep going, I'd like to uh, give you a chance for you to introduce yourself. Hello, Tyler and Aaron and Journey. To truth. Thank you so much for inviting me here. I'm glad to be speaking with you about this. 
I follow what you're saying. The situation you described for yourself, Tyler, and I probably you mean to cover Aaron as well and your and your listeners, is the situation of a lot of people. You hear bits and pieces of astrological information thrown around, but there's no uh, theoretical foundation for you to uh, analyze it or to assess it with. So, you know, that, that, that happens to a lot of people. I understand that completely and entirely. Now, by way of introducing myself, I'll tell you that my first interest in astrology began when I was in elementary school here in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I was raised. Uh, so, you know, that was a long, long time ago now. And then I began to dig into the technicals or the the mathematical part really of astrology much later as an adult when I was in my uh, when I was in my 20s um so there's a symbol a symbolic or symbolic symbol side to astrology and everybody's seen it the glyphs for the planets and the signs the signs of the zodiac and so forth and you can learn a lot just by studying what those mean there's plenty of information on the internet for that. But that's not all there is to astrology. Really, it's based on a pretty uh, technical study of the cycles of the planetary bodies in our solar system. Even though the word sounds like it's got to do with stars, A-S-T-R, aster, the bulk of astrological study and discussion is based on the planets in the solar system. So it's, you know, the the historical origin of astrology is in the observation of the night sky, which is primarily made of stars. That's where the historical origin is, but the daily practice of it has to do with the planets in the solar system. Right. And you know what what got my attention is you know we did a Zoom call a while back and you and it was with Margie K and you briefly were touching on some of the dates some of the significant events you know at aligning with the astrological charts or whatever and that caught my attention because you know I hear people talk about this and discuss it all the time but when we can start to prove that things are actually happening significant world events are actually happening on these dates and uh i don't i think that's tangible it's something we can and then but you don't just prove it once you had like a hundred examples and you went back over time and there's different periods like the 60s i think then to the late 80s and then 2012 to 2015 are all three major periods where uh major world events happen and and including ufo activity and stuff of that nature so maybe we could just start there so to help our audience understand that something does happen and on these times during these times and maybe we can cover those periods and then lead up to the current and then maybe even future predictions and you know what this cycles if it's if it's safe to predict based on what you've seen well tyler you've just hit on all the major questions of metaphysics just like that bam <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. discuss the reality of time, the place of time and human evolution and whether right. or not. How much time do we have again? Right. <laughs> it's like Whether or not it is ethical to uh, project particular images in people's minds. Before I begin, let me say this. I am a devoted believer in the metaphysical proposition that we create our own realities. Mm -hmm. I am too. a yes, I am a devoted yes. believer in the notion that our deep subconscious images 
are what drive our individual and collective lives. You know, so if we really believe that life is horrible and people are monsters and nothing is any good, well, guess what happens? You know, and it's going to show up for you. It is going to show up. It is going to appear. It is going to become. Yes. Yeah. The drama of your life. Um, If you really believe that the universe is a tiny little place uh, created by a a, a jealous little mind who withholds goodness from uh, all manner of creation, that's going to show up, too. So I don't ascribe to any of those beliefs. And I'd really rather project positivity into people's minds, my mind and other people's minds as well. I believe in daily practice of positive affirmations and positive visualizations so that you're taking the energies of creation and moving them and directing them and shaping them towards what you desire. So the astrological influences that come into our situation represent those energies. High voltage electricity on the mental plane. It's all there. You can use it. What are you going to use it for? And there are points in time where we get big blasts of it. And then other times, not so much so. Tremendous blasts of it. Yes, Tyler mentioned the mid-1960s. That was one of the big blasts of um, potential of what we could do with ourselves individually and socially. And it was timed by the conjunction of the planets Uranus and Pluto. Now, those two planets do not come into conjunction with each other very often. About 130 to 135 years in between those events. And a conjunction is a point in time when the two orbits of the planets involved are on the same side of the Earth, such that as we look at it from the Earth, it looks like a line of sight arrangement. That's a conjunction. Now, there are other arrangements in the solar system that are also important. They're not as easily described or as easily discerned. But the conjunction is like billiard balls lined up one behind another, as perceived through the zodiac, which is the space around the Earth. So that's a good thing to be talking about, a conjunction. So it doesn't come very often. Well, in the mid-1960s, it did. And uh, the two energies of the planets blend when there's a conjunction. So it was a blending of what Uranus and Pluto signify and colored by the sign in the zodiac where it happened, which was the sign of Virgo. You've got a question, Tyler. Go right ahead. I'm just going to say, so what can you explain what type of events we saw in the 60s that would stand out in your mind? Yes. Well, precisely. That's the right question to ask. What happened during that period? It was a time of tremendous social, economic, and geopolitical upheaval. There were history-making wars. There were race riots all over the United States. And that's a deep topic that we should look into. Uh, There was a revolution in art and music and dance, a cultural revolution that repudiated the norms of previous uh, time in Western civilization as to what was considered allowable, polite, and appropriate. The infusion, uh, the fusion of, uh, or the use of blues music to create rock and roll uh, 
was arose during that period of time. That's what happened. That was the big uh, awakening and all the change in dance forms and fashions and styles and types of relationships and social interactions flowed from that, from the lyrics and from the driving beat. And it changed everything because we had a very staid society before that. And the haircuts were very straight and everything was, you know, tacked down and uh, rigid and body body positions were very uh, frozen. And after that, we had uh, loose movement, people dancing and free and, and, and interacting with each other in this completely different change of circumstance. Sexual, sexual revolution. Hippie movement. Yeah, the Beatles, Rolling Stones. That's right. That's right. That's right. And space travel and space communication. That was at the forefront. And a a terrific increase in the number of reports of uh, UAP, UFO, or whatever you would like to call them. UFO, yep. Sightings were off the charts in the 60s. So it's like a breakthrough in consciousness almost. Very much so. Excellent way to, to describe it. Fantastic. I love what you said. That's right. It was a breakthrough. And almost every time that we have an, an intensive activation from planetary arrangements, it can be a breakthrough in consciousness every single time. The potential is there. Specifically in the 1965 era, the potential was described by the planets, the archetypes, Uranus, Pluto, and Virgo. And so that's what we need to dig into next to see how that really reflected during that time. So Virgo is an analytical sign. We were just now talking about the development of the space program and greater awareness of UFOs. Of course, there were technological developments all over the place. Computer uh, technology was cooking in the background. It hadn't become widely used by the public, but it was back there in the military and in the corporate environments being developed during that time, chip technology. Uh, digital technology, all that stuff was hiding in the background. Medical technology was changing radically. Uh, science curricula in schools were changing. So Virgo has to do with all of that. It's a very intellectual, analytical, um, scientific, and mathematical persuasion, Virgo. And that's where the conjunction was. It was Uranus-Pluto conjunction in the mid-degrees of Virgo. Um, Uranus itself symbolizes revolutions and modernization because it was discovered in the modern era. It was the first um, of the planets of our solar system to be discovered uh, through uh, means other than the direct observation of the unaided human eye. There was some science involved in discovering that. And then Pluto, which is still used in astrology, no matter what NASA says, uh, Pluto symbolizes the same things that uh, the god for which it is uh, named did, and that was a Greek Hades, the god of death and rebirth. So those two archetypes, or three archetypes blending together, gave us what we experienced. And it was a time like no other. You know, we haven't had a parallel period of time yet and won't for quite some time. So I guess it would indicate that there's cycles so this will happen again and we should expect some a, a, a similar era when they do conjunct so then the next one was the 80s and so what was in conjunction in the 80s that late we're... 80s uh, the, in 1988 was the saturn uranus conjunction 
that's a shorter cycle. Those two planetary bodies come into conjunction once every 45 years. And so the one previous to that had occurred in the early years of World War II in the early 1940s. Um, So in 1988, Saturn and Uranus were conjunct in the late degrees of Sagittarius. Um, And that really, you know, it's not as powerful as the Uranus-Pluto conjunction, but it certainly had an effect and it changed a lot of people's lives. There was a lot of movement and change uh, within the United States. I have encountered people all the time that tell me that they moved across state lines in 1988 and Sagittarius is a traveling sign. There were many other things that happened in the world as well around that period of time. Uh, Certainly the setup for the uh, rise of the internet was getting ready, you know, getting ready to happen and um, innovations in computing were happening at that point in time. And then in 1989, Saturn conjunct Neptune, uh, conjuncted, I should say, conjuncted or made a conjunction with Neptune. It's very rare that Saturn will make a conjunction to Uranus and then Neptune right in two calendar years right next to each other. And the only way that that could happen was because Uranus and Neptune were getting ready to make a conjunction with each other, which they did in 1992-93. And that was the real power that was in operation at that time. Those little short Saturn cycles, which they are important, were nothing compared to that one. That one's a 172-year cycle, the Uranus-Neptune Come, they come into conjunction once every 172 years. So that's really quite powerful. And in the early 1990s, the sign involved was uh, Capricorn in the 20s of Capricorn, which is the uh, sign in the Zodiac, which is symbolic of material power, material success, uh, ambition, corporate structures, executive positions, and things of that nature. So the Uranus-Neptune conjunction in the early 1990s was the occurrence of the new commercial environment, which became the internet, of course. that's That was the big development right there. And there were many other important uh, events as well that you, you all will probably remember and want to speak about. Right. It's just, um, I think it's great to connected dots here and show us because most people we we know we understand that these were significant eras but we don't connect them astrologically not the normal person until you start learning about it and then you start you know diving into the charts with with charts which how far back do those actually go i mean to the beginning of time right so yes uh, as long as our solar system has been here these planetary cycles have been you know going through their paces um in the field of astrology, the the study of these long-term cycles that I'm talking to you gentlemen and your audience about today uh, are not as well-studied and popular as certain other parts of astrology that are easier to understand. For example, individual astrology or personal astrology. Some of the same principles can be found in each, but it, it's there aren't as many astrologers talking about these long-term cycles as there are talking about individual person's experiences with finding love or finding a job or finding uh, a house to buy or, you know, an investment that works. It's just not as, it's not as, as frequently discussed. So it's not unusual that you haven't heard much about it. 
Yeah. And that is interesting because I hear a lot now, you know, the age of conspiracy theories, I guess you could say, uh, that we're living in a simulated reality and astrology is proof of this because they're pinpointing things with like such stunning accuracy that it has to be a simulation. This is what some people are saying and like the birth charts and the Zodiac and everything. And it's predicting your personality down to a T based on when you were born. And, and people are, you know, relating this to a type of computer simulation which I don't know if you've heard that or not, but you know, I I'm on TikTok a lot and this is like one of the big themes on TikTok right now. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, thank you for asking. Um, I feel like we're talking across the chasm of the generations here. Right. <laughs> um, well, it really depends on what one means by simulation. Uh, to me, a simulation is a, uh, less than real a thing it's a projection or something right. uh i don't know let me let me see if i can shortcut to what i think is the bottom line here i think human life has a great deal of meaning there are many metaphysical teachings that really don't you know uh, for example some of the eastern philosophies which i've studied intensively i'm a grown-up hippie i did all that stuff hmm. um some of the eastern teachings say that you know uh, materiality itself is nothing but maya or illusion, and there is no such thing as time. The Buddhist philosophy goes even further to say that there's really no um, lasting significance to human identity or human experience, that it's all generated by um, bundles of karmic tendency called skandhas. And, you know, that may be true, but here's my here's my reading of it. Human life has very definite inherent meaning. It has inherent meaning to the individual experiencing it and to the collective of individual experience considered in the sum total over time. Time is an actual uh, portion of our experience and a critical portion of it. Here's what I think. The astrological birth chart is an imprint of the soul's intention for any given incarnation. The chapters of the life are written right into it and they're ticked right off in time with the transits to the individual positions that were established at the birth chart. So I've seen this working out in so many people's lives, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of lives that I've looked at. I have absolutely no doubt about that. So is it a simulation? Well, who's doing the simulating? Well, if you say the the, the great cosmic mind is doing the simulating, I can agree to that. The great cosmic mind has has outpictured everything and everything is happening in the great cosmic mind that doesn't make it unimportant or unreal i don't think you could have well answered, said yeah i don't think you could have answered that any better i appreciate right. that and i i tend to agree with you i that makes perfect sense to me and i i think that everything does have a deep inherent meaning uh there is a meaning to life and i think some of this information that's being pushed right now that we are in a, like a computer generated simulation. It's in, it's almost like, uh, like Lucifer trying to take away the meaning of life and confuse us and, and, you know, make everything seem less significant. So we just kind of give up hope like, Oh, well, this is all just. That's it, Tyler. That is so <laughs> it. What would be the point of the great cosmic mind manifesting such a rich diversity of individuality 
if individuality didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Right. It's preposterous, you know, well, the, the whole. Yeah. So I agree with you completely. And, and you're right, because what do they do at a very young age in our schools now? They hijack the individuality. They want everybody thinking the same, dressing the same, doing the same thing. They're hijacking our individuality because they're scared of our potential. They know what we're capable of. So, um, yeah, I agree. And I'd like to move on to the next era of the 2012 to 2015 uh, cycle era. And does this relate to the Mayan calendar at all? Well, um, the Mayan calendar is constructed along cycles of Venus, which are relatively short, and it does not account for any of these outer planet cycles. So, no, they're not operating from the same calculational basis. You could ask the question, well, uh, do they predict the same thing? That's a big question. We'd have to bear down on some specifics to really get around that. But to 2012-2016, the period there, uh, that's a great question, and you're very intuitive because the implications of that period flow directly from what happened in mid-1960s because what was the astrological driver from 2012 to 2016 was a square between the two planets that were in conjunction in 1965 or 1960. Three, four, five, and six. It was it was a long lasting configuration. Um, so we probably would benefit from some diagrams here, but I think I can show you with my hands uh, if you'll just think about this with me. When planets are in conjunction, you know they're in that line of sight relationship. The one that's faster moving speeds up. The other one's a slow, staying behind. They're both still going around the sun. I'm the sun in the middle here. At some point, they're going to get to a 90-degree relationship as seen from the Earth. And that's what a square is. As that thing goes on, eventually they're going to get 180 degrees from each other. That's an opposition. Eventually they're going to get in a closing square with each other. And then finally come back around to another conjunction where they'll again be in a line of sight. It'll be in a different place than it was before. But, you know, it's two moving bodies moving around a central point. The central point is the sun, but the earth has a specific perspective on that. Right. That was a a great visual. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm I'm, I'm into this stuff. so in in 19 in the mid 1960s Uranus and Pluto were together on one side of the earth in a conjunction and it takes a long time for these cycles to mature by 2012 Uranus had sped ahead and Pluto was lagging behind to the point where they'd gotten to a 90 degree separation in the heavens as seen from the earth that's called a square so um There's a very important theory that you need to know about to understand what the relationship between the conjunction and the square is. You won't have any problem with this because if you're a natural animal and you've been paying any attention to what's going on around you in the sky, you know the answer to this. I bet you're natural animals. I bet y'all know well about this. Mm -hmm. So every month we have the lunar cycle, right? And at the beginning of the lunar cycle, we can't see the moon at all. It's dark. And that's because the lit side of the moon is facing the sun and we don't see it. About a week later, or in a few days after that, we start to see a teeny little crescent, which grows and grows and grows. And uh, about a week later, we can really see a good crescent moon out there. 
And about two weeks later, it just keeps getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And then finally, we've got the great big circular orb of the full moon, right? And then about another week later, it's kind of eaten up just to a little bit of a crescent again. And then finally, it goes back into being completely invisible. Those quarter points in the uh, moon cycle are very important psycho-spiritually. The conjunction moment, when you don't see anything, it's a dark sky. The lunar and solar principles are blending. The lunar is the female. The solar is the male. Everybody has these two characteristics inside of themselves, given to them by Mother Nature and Father Sky. We all have them, no matter what our stripes are, what our types of of uh, sexuality or any race or age or anything. Everybody's got the sun and the moon principle inside of them. And so as a collective, humanity experiences this uh, important ritual of the month. Every month we go through a psycho-spiritual ritual together. As we're coming into the old part of the moon, everything in nature is dying down. People want to sleep. They're tired. They want to take a lot of naps. They're not ex- excited about their projects. Oh, I can't run, whatever, you know. And then at the at the exact new moon moment, the zygote and the sperm or the egg and the sperm come together psycho-spiritually. It's a new mating. It's a new pregnancy every month in the psycho-spiritual zone or realm. So there is that coming together of the male and female or the creative principles within us. And then about a week later, we begin to see the results of that. Two weeks later, we see the full results of it. Uh, Three weeks later, we are able to contemplate on the entire experience from that last beginning and come back to center again at the new beginning of the cycle. This is a psycho-spiritual journey every month that was identified in the 20th century by astrologer Dane Rudyard, who was born in France, changed his name, came to the United States, was a leading figure in the uh, metaphysical circles of the uh, mid and later 20th century. Dane, D-A-N-E, Rudyard, R-U-D-H-Y-A-R, articulated this theory in his book, uh, the lunation cycle. Now, it's a magnificent pattern for understanding. It happens to all of us every single month. But guess what? You can apply the very same thing, conjunction square, opposition, closing square, conjunction to the outer planet cycles. And they will tell you what is going on with humanity. So in 1965, with the conjunction, that's like the new moon phase. Okay. And that was where the birth of a bunch of new ideas came in. What was it all about? Social uh, justice, people getting along better, a better relationship of the sexes, not just authoritarian males and submissive females, but more of an equals relationship, a better relationship with nature, uh, a better uh, understanding of the human mind. A lot of ideas were born, not all of them went in the right direction, unfortunately, but new ideas were born. A new social vision was born. We had the uh, civil rights legislation in the United States that was published, uh, excuse me, uh, passed during that time. Yeah. So here in 2012-2016, Uranus and Pluto had done the equivalent of that first quarter in the lunar cycle. 
That's called the crisis of action. Rudyard called the new moon the crisis of uh, inspiration. Yep, right. Crisis. Yeah, and, crisis. And it's, yeah. it's interesting that um, 2012 seemed to be a point where a lot of people had their, you can call it awakening. Aaron, I know 2012 was Me. a big year for you. Yeah. And a lot of people though, doing this podcast for almost almost five years now, the people we talked to are like, yeah, I woke up in 2012. Something happened in 2012. I started seeing through the veil, seeing through the illusion. So that would align with what you're telling us. Yes. And and we there was a lot of things that happened in that period. And maybe like, I don't know, remember, you might have some of those memorized what significant events happened and you could help us, uh, you know, take us back to that time and remind us what actually took place then. I hope I can too. <laughs> well, I didn't know. I thought maybe you had a list or something. You know, you seem to have them. All well, through. that's a good, that would be a good list to have brought with me or to have generated ahead of time. But yes, I can generally remember the period of time. Yes, I can. Uh, but let's finish understanding that model first before we get too far lost on that. All right. Okay. So uh, crisis of inspiration is equivalent to the new moon moment, right? Or it is the new moon moment in any cycle, whether you're talking about the lunar cycle or two other planetary bodies moving through their orbits in the solar system and perceived from the Earth. Uh, the next th critical point is when they're separated by 90 degrees, the first square, and that's uh, the crisis of action, according to Dane Rudyard. Do something about what it was that you were inspired with. And then the opposition or the full moon phase, when one body is on one side of the Earth and the other is on the opposite, equivalent to full moon. That's the crisis of illumination, full understanding of what the new birth moment was about. Then that closing square, um, Rudyard called the crisis of conscience or consciousness and its purpose or role within the overall cycle was to allow people a chance to look back on the entirety of the last sequence of experiences and try to uh, uh, crystallize from it what it was all about, what it meant as a form of knowledge and wisdom coming out of experience that could be carried forward uh, in time as collective and individual wisdom. And then you go back to the original crisis of inspiration for the conjunction or new moon period yeah tyler you're thinking of something uh you see you're reading my mind. i'm just saying so the 2012 was that the um crisis of action crisis of action okay. absolutely so as you can see this is a very long-term process it's working out in society as a whole anything that would develop from 1965 to 2012 is far beyond what's going on in the in, in the life of one individual. It will affect the lives of individuals, but it's a process that refers to the collective of humanity. What did we learn in, 19, what, what, what were we inspired with in 1965? And how did we apply it in 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16? Or did we apply it? Right. Did we? Yes, I think we did in sort of a messy, disorganized, you know, ragged sort of fashion. I think we did carry a lot of those ideas forward. Uh, but let's have a look. So what did we encounter in 2012, 13, 14, and 15? Well, we were coming off of the disastrous 
financial implosion of 20, uh, 2008-9 period. Many businesses had not yet recovered. Many individuals had not yet recovered. We were still in some degree of financial setback worldwide and nationally here in the United States. Um, you, you've got some ideas. You wanted to say something. Aaron, you had a thought. Um, yeah, so these, so it's, it's, it's interesting looking at this, how these line up with, with what happened so precisely. Um, so what do you, do you think that things, it's kind of like the energy that there, these, um, alignments are creating that are causing things to happen or is it like what what's the, like the the science kind of behind why why that's the case i guess is what i'm trying to say no great question so we we, we just jumped up from uh evidence to theory right now we're going yeah. to <laughs> temporarily we're going to leave the uh, evidence-based discussion and we're going to jump up to theory that's fine with me I, i'm good with that um that question has been posed and bandied about in the field of astrology since the invention of astrology or the uh, uh, the realization of astrology, which, by the way, may have been given by beings from other star systems to us as a form of uh, mathematical analysis of experience in any given system that has a central star and, and bodies that orbit around it. I'll get into that later. But anyway, is are they causing it? Uh, amongst astrologers that's precisely how astrological influences are discussed let me say that again amongst astrologers when you get a bunch of astrologers together that's what they'll say this or that caused this well what caused this oh it was the mercury mars thing oh that did it oh yes i see okay that was definitely it but underneath that discussion we also know that what we're really talking about is an interaction between the field of consciousness of the universe or the solar system in our case and human beings. We're really talking about consciousness. Astrology is a descriptor of consciousness, believe it or not. I know that's a mind-bending concept to try to uh, take into your mind. And let me tell you why. It's based on the idea of a circle. Now, can you think of anything more fundamental in nature than a circle? Mm. We've got the circle of the horizon, uh, we've got the circle of the year as the earth goes around the sun. We've got the circle more or less create moon as it goes around the earth. It's actually elliptical, but you know, the idea of a circle is there. We've got the circle of the year. Whenever people gather to talk to each other, if they mean to talk to each other, they will not line up in rows. They will get in a circle <laughs> so that they can all face each other. You know, it's based on a circle. The circle of space. As an uh, two-dimensional representation of infinity, circle, and that circle in astrology is divided up by numbers. So the role of number becomes very important here. And I ask you, from whence the idea of number? Do we know where the idea of number came from? No, humanity intuited the existence of number in order to count. Right. Number was pre-existing as a notion 
in liminal space or ideational space or divine mind, if you like. Now, this is exactly what uh, 20th century depth psychologist Carl Jung said Mm -hmm. on the basis of what he discovered in people's dreams and subconscious. He said, number is an archetype itself existing on the archetypal plane. Number is an archetype. In other words, it's a factor in the field of consciousness. So astrology is a way of dividing up time and experience by number. We're dealing and we're working with archetypes that exist in some high dimension. The ancient astrologers understood that astrology was an attempt to connect with the divine mind. Mm the divine mind big claim for the modern world to take you know to hear you know that discussed but that's what they were talking about back then they were uh sky observers they were spiritual seekers astronomy and astrology had not yet split theology and uh celestial observation were like that the purpose of celestial observation in the beginning was to discern the will of the great one right it was understood in the divine uh, in the um, divine psychology and theology of the ancients that the great one spoke through the stars and through the movements of the planets. So, mm-hmm. why do they think that? Well, because they could see the night sky. We can't even see it anymore. Right. Right. Every night, yes. Every night they'd go out and have their minds blown with the evidence of infinity right and we can't you know we just see light pollution now we have no you know we can only see it through photographs we have a lot of good photographs a lot of you know the webble and web or the hubble and (laughs) the hubble telescope and, and others that are bringing us great images of deep space and all that kind of thing but our um ancestors saw it in the natural situation with the black of space or the deep purple of space as the backdrop and all these scintillating stars. Have either of you gentlemen ever seen a dark sky? Have you ever gone anywhere to see an actual dark sky? You know oh, what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. saw I saw it once when I was in my 20s in a backwoods area of North Carolina in the dead of winter with snow on the ground and a brilliant clear sky. It took my breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is. It's like wow, right? and you don't realize how polluted things are until you get to one of those places. Um, so, as far right. as current times and what we're experiencing now, would you say? Well, first of all, would you say that the governments uh, make all their moves based on astrology as well? Like the political moves and events, do they are they focusing on the astrology and taking advantage of it or not? Deeper elements, maybe, of the government, not the surface level. There have been uh, specific and and, uh, isolated individuals in American government elsewhere who paid attention to it. Ronald Reagan was one because his wife, Nancy Reagan, uh, knew about it because they were from California where it's all over everywhere. So, yeah. But no, Mm. they don't. Uh, Does the World Economic Forum do so? I have a close astrological associate in Australia who feels there is absolutely no doubt that the WEF uh, and uh, other people like that are uh, using it. No, 
during the Third Reich, Hitler, unfortunately, was mm-hmm. aware of a number of things of an esoteric and occult nature. Astrology is one of them. Apparently, that was used during the Third Reich to time some attacks and assaults and things of that nature. Um, no, they don't. And 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 there's an underlying issue here, which is this. Uh, the real truth of astrology will not speak itself to anyone who does not love creation. It will not speak itself. It will only give teeny bits and pieces of it. So if persons attempt to use it for nefarious means, they're not going to get the whole truth out of it, and they're going to do badly with it. Mm-hmm. Example, Hitler, Third Reich. Um, and that would be the same, too, if any of the currently corrupt governments or the current governments that, that are corrupt, that uh, which one is not? Okay. Right. If any right. of the current actors would attempt to do this, it would backfire on them. They would not be able to use it. The other truth, which we could switch sw- the way is to say, if they want to use it, they need to come into a different state of mind. Wow, they need right. to come into the state of mind of the of the fellowship of the universe. Astrology teaches the fellowship of the universe because it teaches that everything is one. If you study enough astrology, you cannot fail to understand that we are in a relationship with all the parts of the universe. And we therefore have a responsibility. We will make you into a nicer person. So it would be very good if, you know, some of our political leaders would study this. I think they they would probably have some changes of heart and stop being so cruel and um, judgmental and uh, punitive against some of their people. And worse, you know, um, it would stop that. So, uh, no. Now, there are specific uh, figures in government that have... astrological advisors that they go to. Um, When I was in North Carolina, I was friends with a now deceased astrologer by the name of um, Marilyn Holder. And she was um, in Raleigh, North Carolina. She'd been a journalist there. She had started her career as a journalist. She knew a lot of state politicians as a result of that. And at uh, some point in her life, she switched over to being totally an astrologer. She had a bunch of political clients including the governor of North Carolina at one point. So she came to the end of her life and um, asked me, I was an astrologer in that area at that time. She asked me if I would take over her clientele. And I was scared of it because, because I was only in my forties and I wasn't as tough as I am now. Uh, You know, I'm a lot tougher now that I'm in my seventies, but I wasn't, I was, I was afraid I didn't, wasn't going to be able to do for them what uh, they, they were accustomed to. But anyway, the point is, in the discussions with her, I found out she was advising a chunk of the North Carolina General Assembly and the governor of the state. So, yes, (laughs) yes, it does happen. Uh, How much do figures like that listen? I don't know because I haven't been privy to those discussions, but we do know that Ronald Reagan's chief of staff was significantly irritated with the power that Joan Quigley, the astrologer to Ronald Reagan, had. He was significantly irritated because she was calling the times for press conferences and things of that nature. Calling the time for an event is a classic strategy in astrology to try to make it come out well, and there are specific rules to for figuring when to do that. So I think that was probably legit. She was deciding on the press uh, conference times and Ronald Reagan, who was the chief of staff at that point, not Reagan, Reagan, R E G A N, 
uh, Reagan, Reagan, I don't know why they did that. But anyway, he was chief of staff. He didn't like it because uh, he didn't understand the basis for it. But Reagan was outrageously popular. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. All yeah. those choices added up to a very good impression. You know, during that period of time, the press referred to Ronald Reagan as the Teflon president because nothing would stick to him. Teflon is a coating that used oh, to be yeah. put on skillets and whatnot. So, you know, when you were fixing eggs or something, it wouldn't stick to. Anyway, mm-hmm. and a part of that was because he kept appearing before the public in times that had been carefully selected by his astrologer, Joan Quigley, for that purpose. Interesting. <laughs> so right now, um, we kind of see disaster in the world stage. Um, are we in any sort of conjunction right now, or is there an astrological reasoning for what we're seeing right now? That's a great question. Our Thank you for asking that. Would, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the gigantic um, collapse points in in modern history or recent history that are the models for the degree of fear that can be generated are the Great Depression in World War II and the use of nuclear weapons in World War II. So there's a gigantic astrological divide, thank God, between those periods of time and us now. And they are the Uranus-Pluto conjunction of 1965. So in the time of um, Great Depression, stock market collapse in the Great Depression and World War II, Uranus and Pluto were in the final stages of their then cycle. They were in closing cycle. And one thing we know from astrological, or I say, I we, I know from studying astrological cycles is that as major cycles get to the final stages and they're getting ready to restart again with the conjunction, everything winds down just like it does in the cycle, in the final phases of the lunar cycle, and much worse, much more pronounced. So implosions, collapses, disasters, environmental disasters like the Dust Bowl of 1934 that contributed um, vastly to the uh, starvation and unemployment of the United States during the Great Depression. Uh, That's all consistent with end of cycle, death of death of a cycle. And it was the Uranus-Pluto thing that was dying and came back to life in 1965. So we don't have that happening now. We also don't have the Uranus-Neptune cycle closing. We have it opening. So the two most, uh, two of the most powerful are opening. There's one more we haven't talked about, and that's the Neptune-Pluto cycle, which is about 500 years. So a half cycle of that is 250. Its most recent start was in 1891, and has it has not reached full moon stage yet and will not in our lifetimes. And so we are on the safe side of three of the strongest cycles. Now, now at this time in 2023, we're on the safe side. Back in the 1929 with the stock market crash, the 1930s with the Great Depression, World War II with the 1940s, they were on the danger side of those, of uh, two of those major cycles. We're on the safe side of one and the danger side of two. Well, we're not. We're on the safe side of all three right now. Now, we've got some other shorter cycles that are coming and going that are problematic. But it's probably not going to manifest anything like the Great Depression or World War II. So in other words, we should expect to see 
some sort of collapse and implosion. We're, we're seeing it, but it's not going to turn out as bad for us this time. We, we I actually, think that's we right. Actually I think make that's... it. We make it through. You know. I believe so. I have said to clients and astrology students and anybody else who would ever listen to me that uh, for the lifetime for the lifetime periods of anybody that's alive right now, there will always be recovery in the financial and banking system. So, you know, as much as we can question the uh, failure of the ethics that underpin capitalism and the banking system and all that jazz, it is not to anybody's advantage for any of that to collapse suddenly and with no provision and leaving a vacuum for all kinds of predation. And we don't want that to happen. We do not want that to happen. We're all served by a relatively workable system. Now, now there's more to talk about in that regard. And as for what's driving the, the disastrous things that we have happening in the world and in uh, the United States. There are two. For one, the Saturn-Uranus cycle is about to uh, close again. Uh, I mean, it is closing right now. It closes through 2032. The next conjunction of Saturn and Uranus will be 2032. And we're in the final stages of the Saturn-Uranus. That's a 45-year cycle, so it's relatively powerful. The other thing is specific to the United States birth chart. If one accepts that the United States of America was born on July 4th, 1776, with the signing of the Declaration of Independence, of course, some people don't. But if you do accept that uh, July 4th, 1776 as the birth date of the nation, then our country has a set of astrological positions, Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, just like an individual does. And the Pluto position is 28 degrees Capricorn, where Pluto has been for the last two years. Now, that doesn't happen very often. It takes Pluto um, 248 years to go all the way around the solar system, and hence 248 years to go all the way around the zodiac, and hence 248 years to get back to where it was at any at the birth of anything. The United States is therefore having what's called its Pluto return. This is not an easy thing. Who is Pluto? Pluto is the Latinized or Romanized name for the Greek god Hades. Hades was the god of the underworld where the souls of the dead went after an incarnation to contemplate their deeds, good or bad, and go through a catharsis and a cleansing in preparation for the next experience on the spiritual path or reincarnation. Hades uh, ruled in the underground world in the dark, the pressure, intense heat, uh, the people that the, the entities couldn't get out of until he said they'd, uh, you know, done enough thinking, suffering, penance, the model for hell. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, that was uh, ancient Greek theological um, conceptualization of how how the path works. So that was Hades, which is Pluto, and we're now having the Pluto return, and what we're having is a gigantic national catharsis in which we're finding out about all this god-awful, uh, stomach-turning corruption uh, that we could deal with and talk about forever and ever. But that Pluto position is not going to be activated permanently. There are about two years, 2022 and 2023, that the worst of it, a little bit in 2024, and then we get 
a lot of relief shortly thereafter. So Pluto's the god of death, and we're having the Pluto return. And what that means is you get a big blast of Pluto, hard impression. You can't get away from it of Pluto. So let's talk about that. What do you think Pluto's all about and how it's manifesting in our national life right now? 2022, 2023. I mean, I think you pretty much just nailed it, but it's it's clear, it's apparent that yeah, I, I was completely unaware of the Pluto return. Like I said, I don't follow astrology. So this makes sense to me. And you you kind of just proved, you know, these cycles, you proved how they affect us, you know, every so many years. And so it's interesting that we're at that return right now. I mean, it makes perfect sense, in my opinion. It does make good sense. I think you're absolutely right. I don't care for the manifestations that we're seeing, but at the same time, I understand that it's absolutely uh, part of our path that we've got to go through. Um, Each position in a birth chart, and in this case, we're talking about the birth chart of the United States of America, each position has something to say about the uh, the character of that of that entity. So as a nation, we have Pluto and Capricorn. That means that over the 248 years of the existence of our country up to this point, back in the background and subconscious of our country, we've had a problem with corporate power, Capricorn, the negative side of, of Capricorn. We've had a problem with this from the beginning. It was a problem during the Civil War. The Civil War was in many regards, and this is going to be an unpopular statement, but here we go. It was in many ways driven by the financial and commercial concerns of the bankers and the real railroad executives of the North. They yeah. had a problem with the balance of payments and how much the South was putting in. It was a fight over money, uh, veiled as a fight over race. I'm all for loving everybody, no matter what national or genetic origin. I'm, I'm for goodness and happiness. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't like the idea of breaking skin. Right. I ascribe to the old Hippocratic Oath, which was against the cutting of skin. So I don't want to see anybody whipped, knifed, hurt, slapped, pushed down, denied their food or goodness or happiness or love or anything. I'm not for it. And I don't care what anybody looks like. It goes for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen. But we have had a problem with the influence of corporate structures on governmental policy from the beginning. It's been in the background. It's, you know, shown up here and there. We had antitrust legislation at one point to try to stop this stuff. And it was in effect for a while. And then we then it got out of hand and we had uh, the excesses of uh, margin trading that led to the uh, collapse of the stock market in the late 1920s. And then we had a lot of really good legislation to control that for a while. And then some people came and got rid of that. And then we went back to it. You know, it's been back and forth controlling that problem. And then that problem coming right back up. And now we're awash in the evidence of regulatory capture, meaning that the industries that should be regulated by the three-letter agencies in the United States are instead in control of those agencies through money, through buying the executives there or putting their own executives into position there. CDC, FDA, NIH, CIA, uh, you know, take your pick. FBI. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well well said. I agree. And I'm glad to hear someone talking about it. This is things I I think about a lot. We discuss it a lot, but 
Um, it's all control. And we, we know follow the money. It's all money. And mo- a lot of times like the civil war and, and other wars, to be quite frank, have all other been wars, funded, other wars have all been created or funded, you know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. they can, for basically, I guess you could political and financial gain. And, you know, they create the war is fought under the guise of something else. And, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can go on and on, but it's interesting to hear you break it down like that because I agree. And and I, I think that hopefully right now we're at a time where a lot of those ways are collapsing and we can maybe I guess what you see next, would that be considered like a rebirth after this 20 after this Pluto return? Yeah, you know, uh the question could be asked, is the United States going to make it through this period in one piece? There, uh, there, there are several ways to answer this, but let me bring a different piece of information to this discussion. It'll, it'll support what we're talking about. There is a 250-year cycle of empires that is acknowledged within conventional academic history. And it was arrived at by a study of this empire that existed throughout time. Uh, by a scholar in the 20th century. And that person realized that on an average, it's about 250 years that uh, empires exist in their original form. Well, that just happens to match to what? The Pluto return, right? Just going to happen at 248 years, 248, 250. There's no difference there. And this is just an average cycle that has been identified by conventional historians. So, uh, we are, as a nation, United States of America, at the limit point of that 250-year cycle that's acknowledged by conventional historians, which is the same as the time period specified by the Pluto return. So it is entirely possible that the United States may not make it through in its original form. And what would that mean? Could we actually have a collapse of the government? Could... could, could, could uh, uh, the Treasury go bankrupt? Could uh, 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 a secession occur? Could several states leave the uh, leave the nation? Or, of course, Washington D.C. won't allow that anymore. And now they've got nuclear weapons and and you know fancy fighter planes to ensure that the secession clause is not allowed anymore. Um, so I don't know, actually. I would prefer that the United States not fall apart because I was born into it and it's been my whole life. And with even all its faults, I still love it and want it to work. And I believe in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I want to see those sacred documents lived by. So I'm not really for seeing this thing fall apart. I'd like for us to have a renewal of inspiration instead. I'd really rather see us be born again as a bunch of people that appreciate what's in the Constitution and what's in the Bill of Rights and get excited about that and treat each other well on the basis of that. I really would rather see that. But but honestly, if you ask me, is there a possibility that something dire could happen to the federal structure? Yes. Yes, there is a threat of that. With the Pluto return and the end of that 250-year cycle, which is really the one and the same, you're just saying the same thing two different ways. Yes. Uh, it is that we are at a critical point at which our our um, beloved union could actually crumble. So if it were to crumble, 
what would make it crumble? Well, the Pluto return itself doesn't tell that whole story. It gives some information, and the information would be excesses. Pluto's related to excesses and extremes. Excesses in the area of uh, corporate and government power. And, you know, we see it playing out. The uh, Biden administration right now is locked in an ongoing bitter dispute with federal courts about the uh, language in the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Numerous lawsuits are uh, have been filed and are in process on this, on freedom of speech, on uh Freedom from undue search, uh, cert, you know, you you all know what's going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're trying to take away freedom of speech. They're trying to, you know, force freedom of thought. <laughs> freedom of thought, freedom yeah. of anything, forced injections against your will. Uh, you name it. They're trying everything they can right now. Um any, so any, any, any sovereignty out. that we have. Yeah, like yeah. any any freedom that we have that's you know to pull the rug out from underneath of us you've read 1984 (laughs) you know it's like it's we're living it right now it's yes so the the question that uh could be asked uh of me or any astrologers how far does this go how bad is this going to get uh i tend to be an optimistic individual some people probably think i'm a little bit too optimistic but hey i'm a sagittarius and i come by it naturally you know life's cool and everything <laughs> um i think we're going to make it through in some reasonable form i feel really encouraged about uh the legal process that's going on right now uh it's going to all get run right up to the supreme court but the the Bill of Rights up to this point has been affirmed several times by lower courts um, and constitutional principles have been affirmed. So, you know, I think we're going to go in the right direction. I'm not sure that the Supreme Court will render the right decision in every case, but it's largely conservative at this point and is probably going to come out on the right side on basic questions on the Bill of Rights. So I feel somewhat encouraged there or even a lot lot encouraged well, um even but even, i have some da- i have some dates ahead. for you i have some okay. dates for you short term to watch to see what's going to happen okay um pluto goes stationary direct smack on the pluto position 28 degrees capricorn on october 10 coming up october 10 so that's uh you know just um less than a month away october 10 and that's really going to bring everything to a head Even before that, uh, there's another astrological configuration that I think is going to bring a lot to evidence and to light, and that will be on October the 4th. And in that case, it's transiting Mars conjunct the transiting lunar south node. I know everybody doesn't understand what that is, but I'm just going to tell you what it is, and I'll, I'll explain in a moment. Transiting Mars conjunct the transiting lunar south node. And before I get into the technicals, let me tell you this. That same configuration was in effect uh, on um, Black Monday in 1987, which was 500-point loss on the Dow Jones Industrial Average and a stock market collapse. Same configuration, and it was in effect one day before 9-11. Mm. 
mm-hmm. within within 24 hours, it was exact of 9-11. You know what's um, interesting? On the October 4th date, that's the date that's getting thrown around right now for the EBS. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I hear you. I mean, I I I had no idea that there was some sort of alignment there, but um, that would indicate that somebody is utilizing or understands the significance of that date. Whether or not it actually plays out, they're they're still attempting something. They um, may, or they may be just being driven by the energies. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 either, you know I hear what you're saying. It's possible. It it is a kind of an ominous influence. So it's when. Uh, Mars and the lunar south node are at the same point in the zodiac. So the lunar south node is actually not a tangible body. It's a mathematical point in space caused by the interaction of the moon's orbit around the Earth intersecting with the plane of the solar system. It's a mathematical point, something we keep track of in astrology. Mm. Lunar south node, N-O-D-E. Um, and we could come back to that if anybody wants to really see the technicals on that. I've got a, I've got a diagram of it we could look at if you want to know about it. It, it happens once every uh, just short of 24 months. So it, it's it's a regular repeating thing. But oddly, it was in effect at two points of uh, historical concern, one being a massive collapse in the stock market. At the point that that happened back in 1987, that was one of the, uh, I think it was the Biggest drop that had ever happened in the history, biggest percentage loss that had ever happened. And it shut down the market. They had to close it like three o'clock in the afternoon. They didn't know what to do. They were having such a slide. Um, hmm. I think it usually closes at four anyway, but <laughs> they closed right. it early, yeah. early yeah. that day. Yeah. Um, so that that was in October of 1987. So there were a lot of events of this nature every less than two years going down in history but then it did happen to be in effect right on 9 11 mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it it's of concern i would say watch it and it's a strong influence that will be generating results for at least a week and that would be centered on the fourth so the week of october 1 through 7 i'm going to watch it maybe in a little bit earlier and later but certainly october 1 through 7 and then we've got that October 10 date that is specific to the United States individual chart. And they're kind of coming pretty close together. I mean, October 4, 10, that's not, you know, it's inside of the first two weeks of October. All of it. So I would say that the first two weeks of October 2023 are going to show us some important things and tell us which direction this Pluto return for the United States is really going to take. Are we going to have a national psychological death and rebirth and come to our senses or are we going to have a structural collapse wow well thank you thank you for sharing all that with us and i'm going to take your stance and be optimistic on our future um rather just our future as humanity at this point forget the united states uh globally as humanity because this is happening all over the world not just here um I'm going to take that stance that after this return ends that we're going to see some sort of a rebirth. We're going to make it through and it might be rough. Things aren't going to look like we they always have, 
but I do think we're going to make it out ahead. And that's why at the very beginning of this, you said you're a firm believer that your, you know, your thoughts create your reality. So we have to constantly see that future and believe in that future and create that future for ourselves. And that's why all of this apocalyptic um, propaganda is being put out everywhere in the news and movies for decades now. And it's growing and growing and growing. Every movie you see is about some sort of apocalyptic future because they want our thoughts to create that reality because they can't yeah. do it without us. They need us. Yes. They need yes. us to create that reality for them. Yes. That's why yes. they want us to believe in it. So we have to change. Oh, Tyler, that's so true. And it's so uh, twisted and and demonic, yeah. really, to do that. Let me tell you, I know you probably have to go. We're at about an hour and 15. But uh, yes, after Pluto gets done with its USA return, it's going into the sign of Aquarius. And over the next few years, we're going to have a completely different set of energetic activations that are based more on Aquarius. So wherever Pluto is by sign, it digs deep into that archetype and brings out everything about it. In the area of Capricorn, it's going to be governmental and corporate power because that's what that sign deals with. In Aquarius, it's a different story. There, It's possible that some misuses of that energy can occur. Humanity has misused about every kind of energy we've ever been supplied with by the universe. But there is a very good possibility to it, and that is that it brings out that sense of uh, community and brotherhood and universal relatedness, which is the message of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh. that's my sign. Right. You're an there Aquarius? You yeah. All right. There you go. Well, we'll go ahead and end on that note. Um, thank you so Fun much. Sign. Thank you so much for joining us. And can you please let people know how they can find you? And I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but Maureen will also be speaking at the conference that I'm speaking at in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, Margie Kay's uh, the Unix Network's uh, conference uh, the xcon october 30th 31st and november 1st so if you're interested in seeing her speak as well as myself those tickets are available at unnextnetwork.com and that link is below in our description but can you please let our audience know how to find you certainly and thank you for asking you can always reach me by email starsong1208 at gmail.com that's starsong, S-T-A-R-S-O-N-G, 1208 at gmail.com. Um, I also broadcast weekly on the UNX Digital Broadcasting Network, Wednesday nights, uh, I believe this is 7 Central, or is it 6 Central? I should know. It's Wednesday nights. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and the name of the show is Starspeak, S-T-A-R-S-P-A-K. S-P-A-K, Starspeak with astrologer Maureen Richmond. So look that up. Um, I have a number of essays posted on my website, which is The Astrology of World Events. The Astrology of World Events. It's on Substack. If you just type in The Astrology of World Events on a Google or any other search line, it will take you directly there. The Astrology of World Events. And there you'll find some 35 essays that uh, explore some of the correlations similar to what we've talked about here in this program. Well, that's great. And I'll link, I'll put that link below as well. And I uh, look forward to meeting you in person at the conference. I'm excited about that. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you all for tuning in. We love you all. We can't do this without you. And uh, until next time, yes. have a great evening. Good night.
Now, guys. A lot of this information has been kept uh, uh, sort of locked up or kept undercover because of the invasion of the Smithsonian group way back in the 1880s. What actually happens is it's not taken to preserve it, it's taken to hide it. And um, about four and a half miles from here, a cave was discovered. It's not really a cave as such, it's a man-made cavern system. But how the hell do you get that much granite? Because the granite on the base of that damn near weighs what the dirt on the top of it weighs. Nobody knows what's underneath it. I've heard a theory that there's a spaceship underneath it. There was copper and steel plated artifacts that depicted men in armor with shields and helmets. Including right here at Cahokia, there were reported two giants with double rows of teeth and six fingers and six toes. Extra vertebrae or extra ribs in their cage. These are different races of people. They're not just regular humans definitely is a stone burial chamber and there's a large body in it of uh, bones I would say 15 to 16 feet. I saw different types of extraterrestrials here with the Native Americans. The peoples of the Cahokia Mounds actually saw the Birdman as some kind of cosmic being and not a humanoid being. So this Birdman was the last and the pure and the true of his kind. So yes, there are, there were rituals or there were dances and celebrations and people would dress up like the galactic beings that were visiting, um, but there were actual physical galactic beings that were visiting. <laughs>